Well, as they mentioned, my name is Ken Amador. <clears throat> I have been at South Merrimack Christian Academy for the last three years uh, there in Merrimack, New Hampshire. So I still live in Massachusetts. So I live in Mansfield. If you know where that is, that's right next door to Foxborough. And so I drive up. So tonight I'll go to bed early and I'll get up at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning and make my trek up to Merrimack and New Hampshire. I've been doing that for three years now. And and I'll spend the night, and I have a, an apartment there in New Hampshire. But it enables me to be able to fully focus on the needs of our Christian schools. I'm so grateful that West Bay is still doing well, and we need more Christian schools, not fewer Christian schools. And so uh, that has been a tremendous blessing to the young people and their parents, and we're asking that God will continue to do what only He can do, in and through not just our churches, but our Christian schools as well. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. My message this morning is compassion for those in need. Compassion for those in need. As I think about what we have been through <clears throat> in the last couple of years, it alarms me, it concerns me that as Christians, and not just as Christians, but as a nation, we've turned more inward and we're not looking to the needs of the people around us. Some of it is out of fear, but some of it is that we're so focused on our own stuff, our own things, that we're not ministering to the people around us. And I want to challenge you for 2022, as we go through this message, that we would begin to start looking outward again. Not just within the folks in this congregation, but the people that are, live, that are living in this area. Because the gospel is still true, the gospel still saves, and there are people all around us that need to be born again, and there are Christians all around us that need to be encouraged. So we're looking at James chapter 1, and look in verse, uh, excuse me, James chapter 1, look in verse 21, where we're reading, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting um, what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those, consider, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And verse 27 is where I want to focus this morning. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So this is a tall order. If you guys are familiar, this book, the book of James, is considered to be the very first book that was written in the New Testament, even before the Gospels. So it's very early in the Christian church as James is writing. But there's a lot of stuff in here that I think that can be a challenge and encouragement to us. And so as we look at this particular verse, it's talking about religion. Now, as um, a modern-day Christian, as a person who looks to the Word of God as the sole source of authority in, our, in my life and in your life, I'm not really a big fan of the word religion because it's not really a religion. It is a relationship. Jesus Christ saved us. 
because he loves us and he's given us a purpose. But nevertheless, the word religion is here. It's in the text. So I want to look at when we talk about what is pure religion and that religion is faultless. We're going to take some time to examine those things. Here's the fact. When Christ moves into our life, our values change and we see life in a new light. Now, I want to say this. If you say that you've been born again, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and there's not a change in your life, that salvation would be suspicious to me. Because any time the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, there's going to be changes. There's going to be a marked difference post-salvation compared to pre-salvation. So when Christ moves into our life, our values are going to change, and we're going to see things differently. So today I want to talk to you about compassion. As we think about 2022, um, I think this is one of the the casualties of COVID. We have become self-absorbed and very myopic in our vision. And I want to challenge you for the year 2022, uh, and I'm challenging myself as well. It's time to put that stuff behind us and start looking forward to serving God, not just uh, honoring Him with our lives, but looking at the people around us and trying to be a blessing to them. Amen. So I'm going to share three, three things with you this morning that I hope will put a little different spin on this whole idea of religion and also our responsibility to be compassionate. So number one, to have pure religion, I need to see people in need. To have pure religion, religion, I need to see people in need. It has always been easy to look out for number one. You know, we, we do that without even thinking. You know, everything that we do, everything that I do, really kind of comes from here. It's, it's me, it's my, it's I. And if you're human, you're the same way. It's not natural to think about others. It's not natural to prefer one another one another in love. Yet that's exactly what we're supposed to do. In fact, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 16. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. This is a uh, parable that Jesus shared. It's a familiar parable, but it's a challenging parable because I think it fits when we're talking about pure religion and what that is. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 says this, And he told them this parable, this is Jesus talking, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Notice the I, the me, and the the my throughout this. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now think about this story. It's a parable, meaning that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the challenge here is this, that if we're not careful, 
That's exactly the life that we can live. And it's not unusual for us because everybody has a dream of retiring. And this guy did too. He's got all these blessings. He's like, man, I've got so much stuff. I don't even know what to do with all that stuff. In fact, I'm going to tear down this stuff and build new stuff to put my stuff in. And so we work hard our whole lives. We save it up and we retire with no worries. We, maybe we want to travel. Uh, maybe we want to plant a garden. Uh, maybe that garden that we've always wanted to have. Or maybe it's to spend more time with our grandkids if you have them. There's nothing wrong with those things. All of those things are a blessing from the Lord. What it concerns, the problem is when our focus is me, myself, and I instead of God. Instead of using those things to glorify God, we become complacent. We become comfortable with the blessings that God has blessed us with. Notice what God said to this man, you fool. You've been so concerned with gathering stuff for yourself and preparing for the future, but there's nothing wrong with that. But it was to, at the expense of his relationship with God and his relationship with others. It's all about him. So he calls him a fool. Why? Why such harsh judgment on a dream we all have? I mean, let's get this. Because it was 100% focused on himself. God is not bemoaning that you have, you know, plenty of money for retirement. In fact, he wants you to plan. He wants us to be good stewards. He wants us to use that stewardship to be a blessing and honor him. But when our focus is on the stuff and the more I can get for me, that becomes a problem. The Bible says that person is a fool. God has always wanted his people to see the plight of others. You can see that over and over again. In fact, in the Old Testament, don't turn there, but listen to Exodus chapter 22, verses 21 through 24. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath, notice the word wrath, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with a sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. You think God takes that seriously? He does. It's a very serious, serious thing. We saw that in Luke chapter 12. What about the New Testament? Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see what God is trying to communicate to us? It's not the stuff. The stuff is okay as long as the perspective is right. And if you're looking around and seeing people in need and saying, you know, someone else will take care of that, that's someone else's problem, then that is a problem. Remember what James chapter 1, verse 27 said, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What about this widows and orphan? Uh, orphans, why are they singled out? Widows and orphans have no means of support apart from charity. You think about that. They have to depend on others 
to get by. There was no safety net like possibly today. You, know, you, you can go to all these government institutions and you can get help. But back in that day, they didn't have any of that stuff. Many people died because they starved or just got sick and didn't get well. There was no safety net. No one provided food or shelter or clothing. They were the poorest of the poor, the people most likely to be cast aside by society. James uses them as a representation of all who were in need. So these folks weren't the only ones in need, but James uses them as an example. The idea here is this. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop looking at your own stuff and start looking at the plight of the people around you. Within these walls, within our community, make sure that we're caring for them. God takes that very seriously, as we've seen in his word. It is God's goal that we see and help people in need. Notice the word visit in verse 27. That is a personal responsibility. Don't pay someone to do it. You do it. Too often in our churches, we've got elders, we've got deacons, and we'll say as a church member, let's let the elders take care of that. Let's let, take care of, let the deacons take care of that. If you know someone that's in need, maybe needs a visit, maybe they're sick, especially now with COVID going on, uh, sometimes we're not able to do that, but that shouldn't stop you from making a phone call or being able to send a note of encouragement or sending flowers or anything we can do that's tangible that will let them know they've not been forgotten. We all know people that are in that situation. And we cannot let ourselves think someone else will do it. I'm too busy. Or I don't know that person that well. James is saying here, if we are encouraged to visit, make that a personal responsibility. True religion is to love your orphaned neighbors as you love your non-orphaned self. To love your widowed neighbor as much as you love your non-widowed self. We've been blessed. You know, we have been blessed so abundantly by God. The least that we can do is make sure that the people around us are doing okay. Love them. Here's a good question. Who will bother with the needy people? Those who know the God that bothered, he does. He, he loves them. He loves us. We need to love. When Christ enters our life, the walls of unconcern come down and our lives are spent for others or should be, just as Christ did. We are to enter their loneliness. In this room right now, in a crowd this size, there's probably someone that was up a lot last night worried about something concerned about a loved one or concerned about finances or concerned about a relationship or concerned about some illness. You know, the older you get, the sad thing is, the more elusive sleep is. I don't know if you have that problem, but I definitely do. I can go to sleep. I just can't stay asleep. So two, three o'clock, just like clockwork, I'm awake. And what do I do with that time? Bemoan the fact that I'm not sleeping? <laughs> Most of the time, no. Uh, pray. Be considerate of others. Think about it. Maybe you're awake for a reason to be a blessing to those, those individuals. And then let them know, hey, I prayed for you. Um, it, it was mentioned earlier that I spent 21 years as a chaplain, Navy chaplain. One of the biggest things that I was able to do as a chaplain was to listen to individuals' problems. 
You know, one of the things that people would say to me over and over again, I'm so glad you listened. You know how little we listen? We're either listening for that person to take breath so we can put our point in, or we're, we're so consumed with what our rebuttal is that we don't hear a blessed thing that they're saying. We don't do a lot of listening. You know, I know my wife has accused me of this on various occasions. You're not listening to me. And the older I get, the worse it gets. I don't know what that's about. It's not a hearing problem. I think it's an attitude problem. But we are to listen. We should listen. So the idea of entering into other people's loneliness. Christmas and New Year's, that's some of the most depressing times of the year. It should be a joyous time, but so many people, you know, maybe their family is estranged or maybe they've got, they're far away from their family who are living in different areas. It can be very lonely. It can be very discouraging. This Christmas was the first time in my wife and I's marriage that we had no children in the home. It was a different and unique situation. We still put all the decorations up. It was, you know, we, we weren't that motivated. We we're like, you know, we've always done this. So let's keep on doing it, you know. And we exchanged gifts, and we did all the things that we normally did, but it wasn't the same. And if we're not careful, we can get to the point where we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Start thinking, you know what, this is not great. I want it to be the way it used to be. People have issues. There are people in this room that have issues. Is there anyone in this room that is in tuned enough with others to be able to reach out to them? Hey, I'm noticing that you seem sad. You seem discouraged. You seem depressed. This is the place of all places, the church, that when people come here, we feel loved and supported. And even more importantly, heard. You know, it's a sad thing when we don't listen. We don't hear the pain of others. So, to have pure religion, I need to see people in need. You've got to have your eyes open. Have your spiritual antennas up. Be alert. Number two, to have pure religion, I need to adjust to negative circumstances. We're going to get discouraged in well-doing. And the Bible says don't be, but we are. You keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, and it's not working, or it's not being appreciated. So probably the hardest thing about helping people is the deception we face. I remember living in Italy. We, we lived in Rome, outside of Rome. If you've ever been out of the country, especially in, the, in that area, there's a lot of fraud, uh, people that are begging for alms. And uh, I remember some of the most pitiful people. You would see these these women, they're just stooped over. In their, they couldn't stand up, as far as I could tell. But you couldn't see their faces. And um, I often wondered, is that a real messed up person in there? Or is that a person who's professional? person who is taking advantage of other people's good uh, grace? We just never know. The deception is out there. And so that has to come into play in our thinking, in our offering of help. Probably most of us have helped someone that we found out later didn't really need our help. Or they took advantage of us. Every one of us in this room probably has a story where a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend took advantage of you. And it really makes you stop and think, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. But you know what? Let's keep on reading because I think it's important for us. Just because we've had one or two or three bad experiences doesn't mean that we should be soured on the whole thing, no matter of giving. 
The early church had to adjust to the care of lots of widows. Listen to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So there became a confrontation. You had the Jewish widows, and then you had the Jewish widows who spoke Greek, Hellenists. And so the Jewish widows were being taken care of, but the Jewish widows who spoke Greek were not. They were ignored. There was discrimination going on. And so they, there was a complaint that was uh, you know, brought to their attention. And what were they going to do? Were they going to say, well, that's just the way it is. Sorry. You know, it's lousy to be you. So listen to Acts chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. I want you to see and hear their response. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They had higher responsibilities. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So these are the first deacons. And they, their job was to care for the needs of needy folks within their congregations. So they addressed the problem. They fixed the problem. They didn't ignore it. There was a need. They addressed it. They fixed it. You know, whenever someone is helping or people, other people, it's really easy to criticize them because they're doing it too slow or they're not doing it correctly or the, whatever. You know, people that are sitting on the sidelines, it's real easy to criticize the who are, those folks who are in the fight. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you see someone in there that's trying, and maybe they don't have the complete skill set or gift set to accomplish the mission, get in there and help. Don't criticize. Help. Encourage. The early church had to create rules about helping people. As the early church helped people, they began to... Uh, to be asked to help people who didn't need their help. If you've ever been on church staff, you know during the week, pastors and their staff are inundated with people who are driving by and see a church and say, hey, I'm going to go talk to them about a need that I've got, financial need. And most of the time it's pitiful, struggles and whatnot. And so it's the job of the pastor and the staff to figure out what is legitimate and what is not legitimate. You know, there are a lot of, like I said, charlatans that are out there. And you've got to have wisdom to be able to figure out which is which. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says this, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such... We command and exhort through the, our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now see what we're talking about here. There is a premium on work. The Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But there are some who can't work or are not able to work. So making, uh, making the differentiation between those two sometimes is, is difficult. So the widows had to qualify for support. And we see that qualification process in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We don't have time to read it, but if you're taking notes, write it down and you can look at it later. 1 Timothy chapter 5 lays out the qualifications for widows. So the unqualified widows, verses 4, 8, and 16, they had family to support them. 
So if they had a family that could care for them, the church didn't need to do it. They were unqualified for support. The second thing we see is, verse 6, living a worldly life. They weren't Christians. They weren't loving God. They weren't trying to serve God. uh, But they were living a worldly life. That disqualified them for support. Number three, they were under under 60 years of age. That's found in verses 9, 11, and 14. If they were under 60, guess what? They probably could work. So they needed to work. So that disqualified them for support. Number four, they were married more than once. We see that in verse 9 of chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. This was not their first rodeo. Probably they had children that could support them. They needed to be supported by those children. And then number five, they could not pass the background check. We see that in verse 10. So there's a process that needed to go. It wasn't just, oh, you're a widow, you're an orphan, here's money. There was a process that they had to go through. So the qualifying widows were over 60. They had no family. They had no means of support. And they lived a godly life before becoming a widow. And they were living a godly life now. That was really important. So when we talk about deception and when people take advantage of us as Christians and take advantage of the churches, we're not just willy-nilly giving out support and, and help. We're using wisdom. We're using judgment, and it's important to do that. So uh, to have pure religion, I need to see people in need. To have pure religion, I need to adjust to negative circumstances. And the third thing, the final point, to have pure religion, I need to keep on helping people in need. Don't stop. Don't think that, hey, I've done enough. I'm going to let someone else carry the, the, the water now. I've done enough. I'm done. No, we keep on doing it. We keep on serving Just as the early church adjusted their care of people based on their circumstances, we should too. We need to get this. Give out help that actually helps. So what that's talking about is this. Sometimes people think it's a financial need, but that's not their real need. Maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe they're making bad choices in their life, and if they don't learn the foundational problem and fix that, they're going to keep on having problems. So use wisdom, be able to discern what is the real need and address that. Fix needs that really are needs. Do not give help so people can continue to live an irresponsible lifestyle. Do not give money that will go to alcohol, drugs, gambling, or will help them to continue doing these things that are contrary to the word of God. Remember, the prodigal son did not return home until he hit rock bottom. If someone at any point along the pathway had said, here's $1,000, he would have just blown it. He'd blown everything else. All the money that his dad gave him as his inheritance blew it in riotous living. So God was working in this guy's life, and when he realized, hey, I'm an, I'm an idiot, I'm a fool, Even the servants in my father's house are living better than I am. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm no longer worthy to be a son, but I'm going to be a servant. That's humility. He responded to God working in his life. If we do not 
legitimately and in wisdom help these individuals, we may be inadvertently aiding them to get further and further away from the Lord. If someone takes advantage of you, adjust the rules so it won't happen again. Listen, the command to help is still there. God is not going to exempt us because someone took advantage of us. That's not going to be good enough. Well, you don't know what they did to me. That person was, you know, a jerk. I'm never going to do that again. No, we've got to continue as Christians glorifying God to be able to support others who truly have a need. We've all been taken advantage of of God's forgiveness. We have. Should God stop forgiving just because we have taken advantage of his forgiveness? God wants our heart to be moved by compassion for the needy, just like his heart is moved. Listen to Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on clouds by his name Yahweh. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. You think they're important to him? You bet they are. And we are his hands and feet. God wants us to do what we can to be a blessing. This is God's character. He loves us. He cares for us. This is the character God wants us to have. He's not looking for a group of people to dress up and come to church to worship him and not see the plight of the needy. We're all guilty of this. Remember I mentioned at the beginning of my message, we get so myopic in our our vision. And especially, we've just been through a a horrendous thing in our nation, COVID, and all the other things that are going wrong. It makes us very cautious. It makes us withdraw and protect me and my own. But we've got to break out of that. There is a lost and dying world around us. And we have the truth. We need to be out there sharing it. And within our group here, there are folks who are struggling that need what you have to say, need your arm, your support, your words to encourage them. He's not, like I say, he's not looking for people uh, just to come and play church, to be spectators. He wants us to get our hands a little dirty, helping the helpless. True religion cannot exist apart from caring for people in need. Who are we in the story of the Good Samaritan? We're all familiar with the story. The first two religious leaders walk by. In fact, they see the guy in need. And what do they do? They go to the other side of the street and hurry on to whatever religious function They were involved with. But the third guy, the good Samaritan, the hated Samaritan, he saw, he stopped, he helped. And even more than that, I don't think it was an easy thing for him to do, but he took the guy to a place where he would be safe, and he said, here's some money. When I come back, if, if you spent any more money on this guy, I got it. That's going above and beyond. God characterizes the people who help others as righteous and those who do not help as people without God. We certainly don't want that. What is your own personal policy for those in need? I mentioned that I teach or I'm a principal at a school in New Hampshire. There's a guy that he's, he's an old dude. 
He's got a beard. He's got a guitar. He's always playing the guitar outside of Market Basket there in, in Nashua. And on my plates on my car, it says, U.S. Navy retired. Every time I drive by, he does that. Breaks my heart every time. I have to turn around and go give him money. We just, we just don't know. I look at this guy, but he plays guitar really well. He's there every day, rain or shine. And he is, he has to be in his 80s. Open our eyes, see what's out there. Be a blessing to those people. What can we do for the poor? What can we do teaching our children about the practice of helping others? They're watching. Our children, our grandchildren, watch us. They see what we see. And if you disregard and you act like, hey, not, that's, they're not good enough for my help, they see that. In conclusion this morning, your religion and my religion is evidenced by our personal ministry of mercy. Either we have it or we don't. God wants us to be a people with compassion that's moved to action. It's one thing to feel sorry for, have pity on. It's another thing to, to feel compassion for and do something for them. Our love for God cannot be separated from our concern for the poor and needy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this reminder of our responsibilities as your children. So often we're so busy getting from point A to point B that we don't even see the folks who are desperate. Father, forgive us. Help us in year 2022 to be able to have our eyes open and a desire to be a blessing. And maybe it means we roll up our sleeves a little bit. Maybe we get our hands a little dirty investigating or trying to figure out, is this a legitimate need? But Father, help us to take, help us to make the time to do that. We, I do believe that glorifies you. Help us, Lord, to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking more about others. We thank you so much for the awesome challenge we get from your word. The things that are important to you should be important to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.